Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Lesson number 12, the reward of children and how to parent within a treasured marriage. This is part two. Last week we talked about the negative aspects, specifically from the passage in Ephesians. And this week we're going to be covering the passage on a positive point of view. Can we trust children to be left alone? Can we trust children to be left alone? Well, no, we can't. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, A child left to himself brings his mother shame. Another verse in Proverbs, Shame to his mother and grief to his father. It is not what parents do to children so much, although obviously if they do things that are abusive and painful, it has effects. But it is what parents do not do that exasperates children. The lack of discipline, the lack of love, the lack of care. We must bring them up. This is a call to raise our children and focus on it. Now, some of us have children that are older. Some of us have children that are uh, out of the nest. Uh, some of us have grandchildren. And some of us have not yet had children. This is appropriate for all of those applications. And if you are the crazy aunt or the crazy uncle and you don't have children of your own, this is an opportunity to come alongside the parents as well. Now, Susanna Wesley had 17 children, including John and Charles. She wrote this, the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in the saving of the soul. The parent who indulges self-will does the devil's work makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him to drown his child, soul, and body forever. Again, that's Susanna Wesley. We do not indulge self-will in a child, but instead we subdue it. Breaking self-will is the key. It was said of Eli's sons in 1 Samuel, this statement, a tragic statement. His sons brought a curse on themselves when Eli did not rebuke them. If you read that sad, sad story of Eli's family, you have the key right there. It wasn't because of something he did, it was something he did not do. He did not warn them effectively, powerfully, continually. The Minnesota Crime Commission has a statement that I believe is on your handout. It's this, every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. Do you remember when Bob Jones came and he gave us that little song about that? His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmates, his toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these things. At once he seizes with rage and aggressiveness which would be murderous were he not so helpless. And that is indeed the case. That's not bad from the Minnesota Crime Commission. The goal is for God to change the heart, to lead our children to Christ and then, when our child acknowledges it, to lead that child in the way of sanctification. Spend our time in helping our children to understand how sinful they are, that only God can change the heart, the need to conform to God's law, and to love God with all heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. It is indeed the smallest battlefield. Parenting, first off, is redemptive. It goes for the heart. And the first thing our children need to know is that they have wicked, sinful hearts, alienated from God, and it's the fountainhead of every imaginable iniquity. This little quote that's uh, on your paper, 
The world's smallest battlefield is the child's heart, and the conquering of it calls for all-out hand-to-hand combat. The child's heart is a battlefield where sin and righteousness are in conflict. The problem with our children is not a lack of maturity. The problem is not a lack of experience or understanding. As a matter of fact, these can exacerbate the situation, the natural depravity of the child. So we must be mindful of that small battlefield. The goal of parenting is to bring them up in a nurture and admonition, this positive aspect of the Ephesians 6-4 passage we're looking at today. The goal of parenting is not control, socially commendable behavior, polite and respectful kids, helping them conduct themselves in a morally acceptable manner, to make them obedient, to give you something to be proud of, or to win your approval. Those are not the goals. The goal of parenting is salvation and sanctification. The goal of parenting is to see our children saved from sin and its eternal wages. Any objective less than that is only behavioral modification. The issue is the heart. We don't just train our children to be self-controlled. We need to train our children, our grandchildren, to understand temptation and to resist it because the sins of greed and lust and selfishness and covetousness and indulgence dishonor God and pander to a wicked heart. We need to correct them, not satisfy them. We need to understand that satisfying an irritated, frustrated parent by spanking them in anger is dishonoring to God. That's vengeance. We need to satisfy God who has been offended, and God has not just been annoyed. So it's imperative that when we are correcting our children, they understand first off that the offense is against God, not against us. That's a very important distinction. And that keeps us from being sinfully angry or vengeful when we deal with children. We use the rod for reproof, rebuke, correction to complement the verbal communication. You never use the rod as punishment for sin. That's not our job. We use the rod as a correction to avoid payment at the hands of God. That's an important distinction. Walter Chantry, a famous Reformed Baptist preacher out of Carlisle, uh, Pennsylvania, at one time in a service, had a child that was causing a disruption. Picked up the child, put the child over his shoulder, walked the child out of the worship center. And the kid turns around and screams, pray for me! (laughs) One of those light moments that you as a church can enjoy and celebrate. Our goal is to bring them up. Bring them up. Target the heart. And let's go to the passage in Deuteronomy. I, I encourage you, open up your copy of God's Word 
to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10, so please keep that open with you. Hear Israel. As a matter of fact, I'd like us to read that together. Can you all see the screen? Let's, let's read this passage together. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Here we have a very important formula given for the raising of children. This is a chapter instructing parents. Down in verse 7, it talks about teaching them diligently. Now, in Hebrew language, the word diligent has the implication of waking up early in the morning and getting to your tasks. We're constantly to be teaching and instructing the truth about God and about judgment, grace, forgiveness, and salvation. When we stand up, sit down, lie down, walk in the way. But we don't have to be confusing and complex. So what do you teach them? Well, let's stay in this section and let's look at the verses. First, we recognize the one true sovereign God. The first thing you teach them in that passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The first thing we teach them is to recognize the true God and that He is sovereign. Recognize Him for who He is. Second, we teach them, again, from this passage, and look at the passage there, we teach them to love God. Secondly, verse 5, teach them to love God. You shall love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, might, strength. That's the second essential. Third, teach them to obey God. And here you have the road sign that shows God's way or my way. And these words which I am commanding you, Today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Teach them about God, how to love God with all their heart and soul, and teach them to follow your example. Verse 7, you shall teach them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down. Every mom or dad has the cherished memory, I hope, of being followed by their little one, like when, Dad, you're mowing the lawn and you look behind you and there's your kid with a little plastic lawnmower following behind you. Or, Mom, I hope you can go to the, some of the stores that have little miniature shopping carts <laughs> and the kiddo is not inside of your cart but pushing their own, loading it up with everything they can reach. I mean, we've got to have some fun, right? But... We are to be the one drawing attention to the spiritual realities. Jesus was a master at this, wasn't he? Jesus draw spiritual, drew spiritual reality from the world around him. Water, fig trees, mustard seed, birds, bread, grapes, pearls, and wheat, and tares, and cup, and platters, and nets, and everything. He used all of those to draw spiritual lessons. Everything that happened in life opened up a window on divine reality. We can sensitize our children to see the hand of God and hear the voice of God and the print of God in every flower, every rock, every mountain, every breath of wind that comes across our way. 
We have no lack of resources and opportunities that we can teach our kids about our divine creator and our redeemer. You're never at a loss. It's essential to bring up, look at verses 8 and 9. That they be reminded repeatedly about these truths. I read somewhere regarding today's social contagion concerning transgender issues. That those people who are focusing on converting your children from the sexual binary only need to repeat things between seven and 14 times before they begin to consider it as truth. Only seven or 14 times. And these are people that want to warp your child's understanding of reality. The principle of repetition of godly truths, the word of God and its power, is what we have to bring to bear because we will spend so much more time with our children and helping inculcate God's truth to them. So number three, teach them to obey God. But number four, also teach them to be wary of the world. Look down at verse 10. Teach them to be wary of the world. Then it come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you didn't build, and houses full of good things that you didn't fill, and hewn cisterns which you didn't dig. In other words, they're going to take a very advanced civilization already in place. Vineyards, olive trees you didn't plant, and they will eat and be satisfied. Then, watch yourself, lest you forget who the Lord is that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we need to teach our children to be cautious and wary of the culture around them, lest it affect them like the riches of Canaan affected the children of God as they settled into the land. And the advantages and the pleasures and the riches of our culture in the United States, our culture in southwestern Indiana in the 22nd century, that can impact. We need to warn our children that when they get out in the world and begin to see all that's out there and they begin to touch and taste and explore and experience that they not forget God. That the pleasures of the world don't drown them. Okay, so let's go back to the passage we talked about last week. We talked about Ephesians chapter 6. Turn there if you would please. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Last week we talked about the negative aspect. All right, don't exasperate them. Don't get them to the point where they think there's no hope. Don't be so crushing that your children are not delighted in the God that you seek to represent. Right? Uh, I'm sorry, I said Ephesians 6, 4. It's Ephesians 6, 2. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Here's the positive. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition or discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the discipline and instruction or admonition of the Lord. Discipline. Discipline, the first part. 
The first part of discipline, it's pedia. The Greek word is pedia. It means to rear up, to bring them up. They won't get there themselves. We need to bring them up. You have to bring them up. It involves training, instruction, learning, like we talked about in Deuteronomy. It's chapter 6, verse 4. It's used in Hebrews 12 to talk about chastening or disciplining. And again, remember, when we in our culture use the word discipline, a lot of times it immediately people think of spanking, corporal punishment. But the Greek word has very much the sense of training, much like an athlete would train in their skill. So I do recommend, when you hear the word discipline, remember the component of training. It encompasses discipline. Here's what it really can be summed up. It's enforcing conformity to the heart and life of God and his truth. Well, how do we enforce it? By punishments, rewards. By communication and by punishments like corporal punishment. Bring them up, train them, raise them up. The second word there, of course, is admonition. Bring them up in the admonition or instruction, it's the word nuthesia. It is the idea of warning in it, and it takes us back to what we've been saying. We have to warn our children that are not only obviously physical consequences in the family to behavior, but there are more serious consequences from God. The word training or discipline may refer to what is done to a child in terms of discipline, but the word instruction refers to what is said to the child. It's a verbal instruction with a view to judgment. There are many people today who, because of abuses in the past or because of what culture is teaching them today, they have eschewed one or the other. They have gotten rid of either the communication or the corporal punishment. Brothers and sisters, you are not wiser than God. Do not neglect either. Use them wisely. We had one child, we had to figuratively use a two-by-four over their head before they conformed. Another child, I looked at that child cross-eyed and they broke down into tears and were immediately contrite. So you must use both communication and the rod wisely. But again, you and I are not wiser than God. Somebody in the room is laughing because they know the child who, in their family, you basically have to you know, be more severe with. That's the truth. <clears throat> the other part of that passage, look at that. Look at that passage, Ephesians 6, 2. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them, right? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction, and it is of the Lord. It is of the Lord. It's not your own. It's not the culture's. It's of the Lord. So, you teach them about God's holiness. You teach them about that a holy God cannot look upon iniquity, that God is without sin, without error, that God never does anything wrong, says anything wrong, or thinks anything wrong. God is perfectly holy. Start with that. And then, not only do they need to know about God's holiness, 
but they also need to know that they, along with their parents, are sinners. They need to know in no uncertain terms how deep that sin goes in our nature. They will feel impulses that are wrong and illegitimate and dishonoring to God and emblematic of the fact that they are alienated from God. And they need to be shown clearly the consequences of that sin. And as much as they are able, depending on their age and their understanding, the consequences of sin which involve forfeiture of blessing, difficulty in life, death, and hell. Children need to know that. And again, in ways that are appropriate for their age and their ability to understand. There are a lot of byproducts to redemption, but the main issue is the forgiveness of sin. We need to show them their sin. How do you do that? Well, you do that by talking about specific sins, bad attitudes, words. There are some people, even within the church, who say that if your child lies, you should not confront them on their lying. I think that's a grievous error. And you miss an incredible opportunity to talk about the nature of our heart. Why we lie. What the consequences of lying are. Both natural consequences and spiritual eternal. They need to know about the consequences. Children need to be evangelized with the truth of sin, the truth of death, the truth of hell. When we preach the gospel, anytime we do, it's 75% law, 25% grace. When our children go off to school, for the most part, they can believe what someone in authority tells them. And again, like I said, between 7 and 14 times, someone's worldview, their concept of reality, can be shifted. We need to know that the key communication in this process is that there is hope in Christ Jesus. I don't do as much counseling as other people in our fellowship do. And there are much people who are much better at offering counsel from God's Word than I am. But I will tell you this honestly, brothers and sisters, that I spend a lot of my time right here the idea that there is hope. There is hope. And whether you're talking with an adult or you're talking with a child, part of not exasperating a child, part of, part of avoiding the error of having your child think that there is no hope, is by presenting them with the incredible hope that is present in the glorious riches of Christ. To say, yes, you did something bad. Yes, you feel bad about that. And you, you disobeyed God. You know, God says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And you disobeyed mom and dad. And that was wrong. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came because you and I are both sinners. And we need to be right with God. We need to be right with each other.
Some of you know this, that I wear this Santa cap, and I have my white beard, and I go around in public, and occasionally, like recently, a, a mother came up to me and said, my daughter thinks you're Santa Claus. And I said, well, we all should be. And then I went over to the young lady and I said, hi, your mom told me that you think I'm Santa. And I pulled out my phone and I said, you know, you only have a few more days left till Christmas and you've been naughty. Then I looked at the mom and I said, well, mom, you're okay, but grandma, she's been very naughty. <laughs> of course, they're all laughing, you know, at this point. And I said, but the reality is that you and I are all naughty. Even St. Nicholas himself went to a church council and punched Arius in the nose. Santa was naughty. We all need the hope of Jesus. And so when we talk to our children, we need to communicate with them the hope that's in Christ. He's the Lord of all. He's the King of kings. He is the one to whom every knee shall bow. That he became man at Christmas. That he walked through this veil of tears. He committed no sin. And that God the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And son, you disobeyed mom and dad. And that was wrong. In doing so, you disobeyed God. But there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And we need to pray and ask for forgiveness. They need to know how to respond. Teach your child how to respond to the reality of sin, the reality of their consequences that they will bear unless they are forgiven and have hope in Christ. And then they need to see consistent examples. Your children are selfish, they're self-centered and proud. Just like me. Just like you. We crave worldly pleasure. We're frivolous and thoughtless about serious matters. We're not considerate of other people. We see other people as a means to our end. We're self-centered. So we need to be consistent examples before our children. And we need to ask for forgiveness when we sin against them. Let's talk about some practical areas to remember. First, raise them around our Bible. To be teaching our children the Bible consistently from their earliest days. Why? Well, the Bible addresses sin in a frank way. We don't need to expose our children to sin in blatant ways to, to introduce the concept of sin. They'll see it around them. And you can speak about it specifically with themselves or discreetly about what they see in the world around them. We also need to raise them around the church as a priority. Now, you guys are in Sunday school. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Over the past year, we've seen a 50% increase in the number of people attending Sunday school, for which I'm very thankful. So, I'm not saying this to beat you who are present <laughs> in this room, <laughs> that as if you're not doing this. 
Our children will get to hear of people who have, been, who have come to faith. They'll see the baptisms. Mom and Dad, what was that about? What's the water all about? I didn't know there was a trap door there. <laughs> is, 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 Mr. is Mr. Bryce going to fall in that water? <laughs> Explain what that is. Tell them the stories of how people came to faith. Hopefully they're speaking to other believers, to your friends, and, and to pastors who tell them about the, the hideous allure of sin and, and the redemption and the freedom and the liberty that's in Christ. Hopefully there are people in their lives that they can turn to in times of crisis, help them understand. Making worship and serving at a church a priority whenever possible. Sticking to one church, there's no better family discipline than the discipline of being committed to a local fellowship. And there's something especially good, pure, about children growing up in one fellowship around one group of people. There's joy in being around Christians who have known and loved your children since they were born. And who will know and love them as they transition into adulthood. It's easier when children are tiny to get them into that process. And remember this, my friends. And if this is on your paper, I believe it is. Look, look at this paper. I'm going to read it aloud. This is so important. This is a quote from John Piper. The greatest stumbling block for children in worship is that their parents do not cherish the hour. Children can feel the difference between duty and delight. Therefore, the first and most important job of a parent is to fall in love with the worship of God. You can't impart what you don't possess. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a preference, you have a preference about the music, you have a preference about what type of coffee is served, you have a preference about what is preached or how long is preached or the type of prayers that are offered, we need to be very careful about criticizing and denigrating the people of God and the worship of God before our children. It's easy to critique and have the, have the pastor for lunch. You don't want to be carving up the pastor for lunch. You need to be very careful about that. Also, encourage your children to relate and develop friendships with adults. Kelly Browning, Susan Filbert are two very dear women who have reached out to my, one of my daughters and still maintain a dear relationship with them now. We have a friend that's in our fellowship that comes around during holidays. It's part of, the, part of our family. And, you know, when we talk to our kids about that, they say, of course, that, that person is part of our family. And they see that person in that way. Let your friends be their friends. Time and older kids have proven all the more why it's so important. Give your children a privilege and benefit of access to people who are old and wise and godly and not their parents. You know, it's also helpful that as the child gets older, you know, and the child is reasoning and thinking. You know, you're talking with them about an issue, and the child may disagree. 
But you can say to that child, well, you know, tell you what, why don't you talk to Brother Frank or Sister Alisa, you know, about this. Find out what they think. Take advantage of that. Help your children to depend upon godly leaders. Train your children when and how to rely upon them. When your children have big questions or big doubts, talk to them about those things. Encourage them to speak to the ones who open the Word and teach the Word of God. When they want to be baptized or make profession of faith or think through difficult issues or moral questions, let them know that they're there to help. By the way, we, uh, this is a picture of, instead of drag queen story hour, this is pastor story hour. That's a picture of what that is. Here at our fellowship, we did awesome adventures as a response to drag queen story hour. And some of us in here had a great time. I remember somebody dressing up and acting, uh, acting like wild men in participation with that. Two of the young men in our fellowship here. Raise our children to be truly wise. Let our children in appropriate ways see that sin has consequences. It allows us as parents to discuss that situation and the pain the trauma it brings. So we don't want to totally shelter them from the world. But when that world seeps in, to their sphere, let's address it. Let's take that opportunity to speak with them about it. To let them see the consequences of sin. How that activity destroyed a family. How that person is now in jail because they did X or Y. Help them to become wise. Be confident but humble in our parenting. The caption of that picture on the screen here says, Parenting, the biggest piece of humble pie you ever ate. Can I get an amen? That was kind of weak. Next time I ask for an amen, I want to be stronger. <laughs> Some couples read all kinds of books. They know before, before the baby is born how they're going to raise their children, follow the program all the way to completion. Others leave the books in the bookstores, read their Bible, pray, and simply follow their instincts. And others will seek counsel. There was a, uh, there was a thread that went around just yesterday about, hey, my child is not feeding. I know they're hungry, but when I present them with some food, they, they balk and they fight at it. What do I do? It's very humbling. But we should, next point, stay the course. Stay the course. Parents receive lots of messaging, some of it subliminal, that kids are easily ruined. Unless you educate them this way, discipline them that way, or give them freedom the other way, you're going to have deep regrets later on. Sometimes that's true, but not often. We tend to way overestimate the significance of a single event, a moment, or a phrase and underestimate the significance of 18 or 20 years of influence. So, stay the course, trust Christ, be humble, and understand that sometimes parenting is about survival. Amen? Amen. That's better. Okay, good. <laughs> sometimes parenting is about survival. In the little years of parenting, it can be 
survival, surviving through nursing and teething and fevers and tantrums, surviving when it's been weeks since you had a good night's sleep and now you're not expecting another good night's sleep again. We've learned that in those times of difficulty, we could break some of our parenting rules or preferences for the sake of survival and sanity. If your baby sleeps in your room or your bed for a few nights or even for a few weeks, you're not going to forfeit their soul. If you give your child a binky, a soother, a nook, a pacifier, your child will not grow up to be a psychopath. <laughs> Calm down. Sometimes you lose those little battles, and that just has to be okay. And here's a picture of my grandchildren jumping up and down all over my couches and my mattresses. <laughs> okay, important question. At what age? Children cannot be saved until they're old enough to understand the gospel clearly and embrace it with genuine faith. But as soon as you start teaching them, and God knows when that readiness is there, the age will be different. The age will be different. It's different for every child in every circumstance. But they do need to be mature enough to understand the basics, the seriousness of sin, the nature of God's holy standard, the forgiveness and hope that's found in Christ. We can't unnecessarily soften the part of the message that sounds unpleasant. We will talk about hell and judgment at appropriate times. Talk about the blood of Christ, his suffering. The cross, atonement for sins. We can't bring that volume level down. We need to approach things. Well, finally, listen, I've really enjoyed this series with you. Uh, as an empty nester and as a grandparent, I've learned some things that I hope to use with raising my grandchildren through their parents. And I've had to come to grip with some of the things that Kim and I have done wrong. But thankfully, there is grace. There is hope. Let me tell you about a sickly child. Sick with rheumatic fever and assorted illnesses so that that child spent much of their early years in life. They carry a residual heart effect uh, to this day. The child was prone to accident and mishap, went through assorted surgeries and accidents from reckless activity. The child was mischievous, did such thing as letting all the neighbors pet birds out of the cages so that they could be free and they all flew away. One morning, this child took a dozen eggs out of the refrigerator, went to the hallway, put the eggs on the floor and hit them with a hammer just to see what would happen. Child ran away several times, just down to the house of the lady who made really good pies down the street. This child directed traffic in the middle of the road, set fire to the kitchen, told the teacher to pray for his father who cut off half of his foot when it wasn't true, simply because the child wanted to have the best story during Show and tell. This child bit people so much that the, ch the child's father put a sign around the child's neck that said, don't play with me, I bite. Any guess who this child is? 
And I'll give you a hint. It's not me. <laughs> Dave Adams was convinced it was me. <laughs> Come on, guess. Famous, famous person in the United States, in our age. I'll give you a further hint. His initials are John MacArthur. And here's, here, <laughs> here's what he said. Uh, it was me. And so it went, even one occasion where my father had to come and get me out of jail. Why was I like that? What, was it because my parents didn't love me? No. Was it because somehow they spanked me and I was wounded in my psyche? No. It was because I really was just like all the rest, depraved to the very core. And... If left to myself, which is where we began this class, can you leave them alone? If left to myself, who knows what criminal activities I might have been fully engaged in. But persistent prayer and persistent instruction from loving parents led me to Christ and to salvation and the path of sanctification and to stand before you here as a preacher. As parents, if God should give us that privilege, the greatest task we have then is to be a steward of our children, to work, pray, lead them to the knowledge of Christ. And if they are older and still not bending the knee to Christ, our job, brothers and sisters, is not yet done. And we can still hope and pray and take those opportunities that we read about in Deuteronomy 6. So, do it now. Couples and individuals, review the lesson. Consider how your experience growing up was the same or different from the recommendations given in this lesson. Remembering grace and humility, how would you like your parents to be different, your parenting to be different? And then, two, as parents of younger and older children, think and pray about each of the areas mentioned, Which areas do you need growth? Identify specific ways and how to plan to honor Christ in your parenting, regardless of the age of children or grandchildren. And then I also want to encourage you to review good resources. Maybe go back over these lessons if any of them have been helpful for you. You've got, I think uh, I've used 17 different books as resources here, and they've all been identified at the bottom of the pages. Find good, solid resources. Read them and reread them. And see how God will bless. Any final questions or summations for the class? Yes, brother. A little bit louder, please. Yes, I would recommend catechisms. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism for Children. Uh, there are also some good Baptist uh, catechisms out there. Uh, but if you're not comfortable with catechisms, just use the Word of God. You know, one of the first lessons, one of the first Bible verses we taught our children was out of Ephesians. Be ye kind one to another. Just, and even if you shorten that to be kind. Or again, the shorter catechism for children. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. We shorten that to what else did God make? 
all. Why did God make you in all things? And the simpler answer is glory, but the full answer is for his glory. Yes, definitely use them. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, chat with Kim or I. We'll be able to point you to uh, good resources and uh, pray with you uh, for the benefit of your children here or children to come.